from the Gospel of Luke. Now when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Good morning. Well, take a look around the church this morning, and you might notice a few changes. We've got some greenery in place of flowers. Um, we've got our beautiful blue vestments, and we've got some Advent candles. And if you've got any young ones, um, there's a special prize if you can find the elf on the shelf. Uh, in the, no, we're not doing that. I'm kidding. That'd be, that'd be terrible. Um, but I do want, what I do want to draw your attention back to, though, is that Advent uh, wreath that we blessed this morning. Uh, four candles, right, representing hope, love, joy, and peace. And I don't know if you know the history of the Advent candle or how that happened, um, but as the story goes, there was a Lutheran minister in the 19th century who, uh, who created that Advent wreath out of an old cartwheel. And he had done it for a mission school of kids, right? He, he, there was a, a, a mission, and it had a bunch of, um, you know, we would call them probably underprivileged um, children. And so he decided to create an Advent wheel, wheel for them. And if you've ever been around kids in the lead-up to Christmas, you know exactly why he did it, don't you? We're living in my house right now, right? Is today Christmas, Dad? No, son. How about today? No. Now? Not yet. Dad, look at the candles, all right? When they're all lit, you'll know. But why do, I mean, why do kids do that? Why do they get so excited? Why are they, why are they so excited for Christmas? Well, you know how kids are. If you make them a promise, if you give them something to look forward to, they become fixated on it, right? It's the last thing that they think about before they go to bed. It's the first thing they think about in the morning. It kind of floats around their consciousness all day, right, ready to just kind of snap back into place. It is, it is all that is on their minds. And why wouldn't it be, right? Because the promise that we make to them, it's often better than anything that they can imagine, certainly better than anything that they can do for themselves. And if you're the type of parent that has a history of keeping promises, why would they doubt that it's going to happen? Why would they not have full confidence that you're going to meet that promise again? Well, you see, this is, what ad this is Advent. This nature, this desire, this, this fixation on the promise is Advent. It's a season of remembering the promises of God, the promises that He has kept to us. And it's also the season of looking forward to, with hopeful expectation to the one last promise that He has yet to keep. And so three points for today as we think about Advent as we enter into the season together. The first point is the assurance of Advent. Second point, the timing of Advent, and third point, the preparation for Advent. All right, let's dive in. The assurance of Advent. In our Gospel of Luke that I just read, uh, Jesus had just finished, right before my Gospel, right before the God, my Gospel, the Lord's Gospel, uh, the Gospel that was read, forgive me, Jesus, um, right before the Gospel that we read, Jesus had just finished making a prophecy about the destruction of Jerusalem that took place in A.D. 70. And he made this prediction some 37 years before it happened. It's pretty remarkable, right? Down to the last detail. 
But then he goes on to prophesy about the end of the world, about his return, what we'd call the second coming, that Christ will return. Has anybody been driving up US-1 uh, the last few months, and you've seen the gentleman over there by the CVS holding up the end is near sign, repent, right? He's on to something. Um, but for a lot of Christians, this doctrine, this belief is a hang-up. And, and it's no wonder, right? It's been almost 2,000 years since, since Christ walked the earth bodily, right? And guess what? Last year, we preached about paying attention in Advent, right? Look alert. Look alive. Pay attention. Look forward to Jesus' return. And we preached it the year before that, too. And you know what? There's a chance that we will be preaching the same message a year from now. A chance, but not a guarantee. After all, if we look back at Scripture, God has always fulfilled His promises to us. Always. Noah, it's going to rain. Right? Moses, we're going to get your people out of Egypt. David, I'm going to make you king. The Bible is filled to the brim with historical promises of God, promises that He has fulfilled. And I wonder, how often do we actually look at the Bible that way when we hold it or when we read it? As a historical track record of the promises of God that He has met for us. I mean, do you believe that God fulfills His promises? Just look at our Old Testament text for today that we heard from Jeremiah. Jeremiah takes place about 600 years before Christ comes, right? And it's a dark period for the people of God. Babylon had swept in, pulled them out of their land. They're living in exile, and yet Jeremiah speaks of hope. And you know what he speaks of? A branch of David, a king that's going to rule, and a priest that's going to make sacrifices forever. Well, 600 years later, who do we get? Jesus descended from the line of David, who is our king. We talked about that last weekend, right? He's also a priest that makes sacrifices forever. You know, and, and what's astounding about Jesus, there's many things, but one of the things that's astounding about Jesus is that everything from his lineage to his birthplace to the events surrounding his birth to the actions he took as an adult to the actions that were taken upon him fulfilled prophecies that were written centuries his birth, we have the record. It's verifiable. Somewhere between 48 and up to 300 prophecies about Jesus were fulfilled in detail. It's almost unbelievable. Almost. But it happened. You know, we have a Father who has a history of keeping His promises. We just don't know when. And that brings us to our second point, the timing of Advent. Uh, I don't know if this ever happened to you, if this is something that you heard in Sunday school, your parents would tell you. I heard this a lot growing up, uh, but I would get the warning, you know, because I'd be a little eight-year-old boy running around causing problems, and, you know, some adult would tell me, watch what you're doing, because you don't want to be caught doing that when Jesus comes back, do you? Has anybody ever heard that? And as a kid, right, you kind of hear that, but you play the odds. You're like, all right. Okay, I hear you, but it shouldn't take me more than five minutes to climb up on the roof, jump on the trampoline, and land in the pool, right? That's a short thing. That's a narrow window. What are the odds that Jesus is going to come back right in that moment? Now, obviously, right, as kids, we're not known for our forethought or self-control, 
But I really wonder if, if as adults we do much better. You know, the second coming is mentioned over 300 times in the New Testament. It's in one of every 14 verses. We mention it every weekend when we recite the Nicene Creed, right? And he will come again with glory to judge both the quick and the dead. But as, as much as we're surrounded by it, as much as Scripture speaks about it, I wonder how much of our time, energy, thought is really spent in preparing for his return. And I wonder if there's not a part of us, and I'll speak for myself in this, a part of me that says, you know, compared to 2,000 years that it's been, my life's a pretty narrow window. So we play the odds. And I think it's tempting to live for this world and not the world to come. And I think that what I forget, that what we forget, is that each of us, and I know we've heard this here before, each of us will meet Jesus in our lifetime. Jesus might be coming for you sooner than you think, right? Could be 20 years, could be 40 years. We had some um, amazing baptisms, uh, cutest kids on the planet last weekend, right? For them, it might be 90 years, but it's coming within all of our lifetimes. And even if he doesn't return in his fullness to glory soon, we will go to him. So if we know all of this about Christ's return, that we could meet him at any moment, what should we do about it? I mean, that's, that's, that's a big part of what Advent is about, is preparing our hearts for the Lord. Which brings us to our third point, the preparation for Advent. Uh, I was out of town for Thanksgiving this week for a couple days. I was up in Orlando visiting family. And I've, I've got the greatest setup on the planet because both my in-laws and my um, parents live on the same street, which is just the easiest thing in the world. Um, but we were up there uh, for Thanksgiving this past week, and I was having a conversation with um, one of my family members about this concept of a, uh, a go-bag or a bug-out pack. Do you know what that is? I didn't know what that was. Um, but I guess it's this kind of backpack that you prepare in case of emergency, right? And some of them have, like, you know, various things that you'd think of. Like, you know, you've got to run out of the house. It's got, like, what, prepackaged food, maybe some purified water, uh, pocket knife, rope, flashlight, Basically, all the things that us Floridians have in our garage during hurricane season, right? I mean, that's pretty much, we've got go garages. Uh, we're ready. But, um, but I, was, I, was, I was like, never heard of this. So I looked into it a little bit, and I found out that um, on Amazon, there are go bags for every occasion. Expecting a hurricane, we got you covered. Blizzard, go bag for that too. There's a go bag for earthquakes, you know, for civil unrest. There's nothing for nuclear war, by the way. But some of you have told me that you were taught to hide under your desks, and that seemed to work out well, so I think that's going to be the plan. Um, anyway, they have all of these different types of go-bags, all of these different types of packs to help you prepare for whatever it is that you think is coming. So Christians, let me ask you, knowing what you know about Christ's return and about meeting Him, I'm stretching the metaphor here, but what do you... What's, what would be in your go-bag? What does your preparation look like? What does it look like you for to get ready to receive the Lord? Is it, what, pray more? Give more of yourself? Love better? Be more present? Worship with all that we are? Seems reasonable. So what do you think is hindering us from that? Well, Jesus tells us. 
fact, in our gospel uh, text for today, right after Jesus promises his return, he offers us a warning, and this is what he says. Jesus says, watch yourselves, lest you get caught up in self-indulgence and drunkenness and become fully occupied with the concerns of this life. I mean, talk about knowing your audience, right? I mean, is that any of us? You don't have to raise your hand for drunkenness. I'm not going there. But what about self-indulgence? What about being fully occupied with the concerns of this life, with what's right in front of you, with all the worries and things that you have to prepare for? You know, each one of us is prone to anchoring our hearts and our hopes in the transient things of this world, especially, especially when things are going well. If you're here, we're here for our screw tape letter study, uh, you might remember one of the quotes from it. Um, Screwtape is writing, and he says, you know, prosperity knits a man to the world. He feels that he is finding his place in it, while really it is finding its place in him. And I think he's dead on. You know, the more achievement that we accomplish, the more recognition and uh, human connection and sense of accomplishment and purpose that we discover here, the less we long for or even look for Christ's return. I mean, it, the problem is it's naive. And the reason that it's naive is because it reflects the belief that God could offer us nothing better than what we can create for ourselves. God can offer us nothing beyond what we can imagine for ourselves. As I remind you almost every Sunday, I'm the father of preschool boys, three and five. And I think that it would be pretty great to watch them grow up. I think it'd be pretty great to, you know, potentially see them get married. I think it'd be pretty great to live long enough to be a grandparent. And if I'm honest, when I look for Christ's return, there's a part of me that says, come Lord Jesus, but not quite yet. There's a part of me that doesn't quite get that the, full, the, fullnesses of the, promise, the fullness of the promise of God, part of me that doesn't understand exactly what he's going to come and do, and a part of me that's satisfied with a world that is gilded but not solid gold. Jesus says, don't be fully occupied with the concerns of this life. I'd like you to think for a moment about what you have anchored yourself to. What is it that is in your life that has arrested your full attention? And then ask, is it something that would not be made better, something that would not be made whole or perfected with the return of Christ? Is it family? Because those who are in Christ will be healed of every affliction and will know a love that surpasses anything that we can offer them. Is it wealth? Well, what? Streets paved with gold? We're going to trot on that stuff. Is it status? What do you think it's going to look like when we walk into the presence of God? How important are we going to be? You know, then how about just time? Time to enjoy the best of what we have. Time to enjoy the earth that God has given us. Well, when Christ returns, there's going to be an endless supply. 
So why not live for that hope? As we enter into Advent, I would encourage you, you know, the promise of God and our future is as fixed as the North Star. And there is no heavenly reason for us not to chart our lives by it. So let me encourage you that as we enter this Advent season, let's do so with eyes wide open, alert. We're assured of the promises to come. And therefore, we can loosen our grip on the things of this world and lift up our heads and straighten our backs and seek the one who is to come. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, you have made us for yourself. I pray that you would free us from the cares and occupations of this life, that we might be able to receive you more fully. Fill our hearts with the joyful expectation of your return in glory. It's in your Son, Jesus Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to our Trinity Episcopal Church podcast. To find out more about the work God is doing through Trinity, visit us online at trinityvero.org and follow us on Facebook.